Hello, neighbors. Won't you be my neighbor? If you watch Alan, hello, neighbors. All right, uh, so we are starting a new series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And I think uh, this sweater was made when I was 20 pounds lighter, so I'm not putting this on. But there we go. It was, uh, it was suggested to me after the first service that I sing the song that Mr. Rogers sings at the beginning of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, uh, and I want you to come back, so we're probably not going to do that, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. So, hey, uh, I am excited uh, to be here this morning, and uh, welcome. If you're new to River Ridge Church, especially welcome to you. You've been around, time, uh, around a long time. Glad that you are here. I think God has some great stuff for us. Uh, so tomorrow is the beginning of school for Kanawha County Public Schools, so I know a lot of you our teachers. I know there's a lot of you who are parents who have kids. Um, and like, so as you think about the story or the, the year coming, how many of you would like like two or three more weeks of summer? You're like, ooh, I'm not ready to go back yet. Okay, some of you. How many of you are like, I can't wait to get the kids back at school? I'm tired of those rugrats. Yeah, some of you are in that category as well. Um, but you know, the, uh, this time of year feels a little bit to me kind of like January, sort of like the beginning of a new year is the beginning of a school year. And so one of the things that we do uh, that I'm excited about at River Ridge is that I want to get us all kind of on the same page this morning and say, where are we all headed over the next nine to 12 months together? As far as we as a church, what do we all want to kind of put a shoulder behind? And so that's where this sermon series of Won't You Be My Neighbor comes into play as we say, hey, let's all move in this direction together as a church. And so we're actually going to be talking about the, figure, the, uh, the actual literal neighborhoods that we live in a little bit through this series. And, you know, neighbors are kind of an interesting thing because we don't necessarily choose our neighbors. And the chances are is that you have some neighbors around you that you really like, and you have some neighbors around you that are just a little bit weird, right? And a little bit hard to get along with. And, uh, and if you're not sure if you have hard to get along with neighbors, that's probably you, just so we're clear on that. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, you know, we have lived in four different houses over the course of our marriage, and there's a couple of neighbors um, in two of the cities we lived in, not currently, but uh, who had lawns, they were the, like the immaculate lawn neighbors. Like their lawns were absolutely perfect. Like they were out there with toenail clippers or something, cutting every blade of grass perfectly. Their flowers were perfect, perfect colors matching with their house and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and those were hard neighbors to live next to because we always looked like our yard was in terrible shape, which oftentimes it was compared to the neighbors. Uh, and then kind of on the other end of the spectrum, how many of you live next to neighbors that they think that they're dandelion farmers, right? They let the dandelions grow up, they germinate everywhere, they drift over to your lawn, you're like, ah, here they are again. So there's, there's the lawn people, and then in every neighborhood, there's also the pet people, right? So you live in a neighborhood, and there's that one house kind of close by the dog that just howls in the middle of the night. Does anybody have that neighbor next to them? Like, that's awful. Yep, some of you guys have that. Uh, in our neighborhood, there's a lot of dogs in our neighborhood. And so uh, last summer, we're sitting in our, uh, like we have a front porch, but we're sitting in our living room looking out through the front porch window onto the street. And this lady, looks like a very nice lady, walking her dog, like, oh, there's a nice lady. She's walking her dog, and then her dog poops all over our lawn. And she doesn't clean up, like not even, like she sort of looks around and then hustles away. I'm like, you can't do that. Um, 
However, our dog is known to wander the neighborhood a little bit and fertilize the neighbor's lawn as well, so I shouldn't judge too harshly. Um, But then there's the other person that exists in every neighborhood uh, or every office area or every apartment complex, and it is the talker, right? It's the guy or the girl who just talks all the time. And you have a, you know, what could be a, hey, how you doing, nice day, turns into a 30-minute discourse about everything going on in their life and that type of thing. And so that person, you know, that exists in our neighborhood too. Stacey and I walk our dog, uh, Bailey, pretty much every uh, evening. And there's one guy that like, he just talks a lot. And when we see him out on his porch, we're like, put your head down and just go, just go, just go. Come on, Bailey, just go. It's like, you know, I got 30 minutes to talk about everything today. So, but there's all these different types of people um, in our neighborhoods. And so I'm going to start this morning as we talk about who are the people in your neighborhood by giving us a definition or a new definition of a word that I've kind of coined or sort of exists depending on how you look at it. Uh, So the word is this, it's neighboring, the art of carrying out Jesus's greatest commandment, neighboring. And so we're going to talk in this sermon series about neighboring. And this applies to you whether you live in a dorm or an apartment complex or a regular neighborhood or a farmland or whatever. We're going to talk about neighboring, carrying out Jesus' greatest commandment. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. So if you brought a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 10. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one at the Welcome Center after this service. Uh, Or if you open the River Ridge app, Uh, You can find a Bible on there, Uh, and if you don't have any of those, it'll be on the screen behind me. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, so let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to be together, to look into your word, to study your word, and to help us, Lord, to be the neighbors that you want us to be. God, give us great insight into into that this morning. ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 10. 10, verse 25, and it begins this way. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, so it's speaking about Jesus, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. Now, your version may say an expert in the law or a lawyer, and it says it stood up to put Jesus to the test. And just first of all, it's usually not a good idea to try and test Jesus. Great to ask him questions, but to put Jesus to the test is usually not going to end well. It says, says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So he's asking him a good question, but he's kind of trying to trick him also. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so then Jesus, in the great teacher that he is, turns it around. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, again, that's the lawyer, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so this expert in the law drew on, as he answered, he drew on the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy that says, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, as we look at that, he asks the question, what is the greatest commandment? He says, this is the greatest commandment. But as we look at that, it seems like he sort of gives two answers. He says, well, it's love God and love people. That seems like two and not one. But the way that this is written, the way we need to understand this, is that the one flowed out of the other. In other words, how do we love God? We love God by loving other people. As a matter of fact, in other parts of the Bible, it says, if you say, I love God, 
but you don't love your neighbor, or if you say, I love God, and you hate your neighbor, you're a liar. You can't say, I love God, and then not love or care about your neighbor. You know, I have four children, and actually we have a foreign exchange student with us this uh, school year, so I guess I have five for a little while, um, and these are my kids, right? And if you say, man, I, I love you, I care about you, but then you treat my kids poorly, you beat my kids up or speak ill of them or that type of thing, I'm going to say, I don't really think you love me if you're going to treat my kids that way. And that's the same thing that's going on here. And Jesus affirms, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The one flows out of the other. Now, verse 29, I'm sorry, verse 28, let me go back and it says, and he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. So he kind of gives approval to this guy's answer. That's a great answer. Go ahead and do this. But then the expert in the law, the lawyer responds, and he says, and he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? You see, he looked around and he said, this is what eternal life is, is to love God and to love my neighbor. Well, I'm not doing a great job of loving my neighbor, so I need to kind of shrink the number of people around me that count as my neighbor. So Jesus, tell me a little bit more. Who exactly is my neighbor? Because he's trying to, sink, to shrink that circle. And, you know, I think we do the same thing, that we want to say, God, who do I really have to love? I know I'm supposed to love my family, but who, do I, who am I supposed to love? Because what we do is we say, you know, I'm going to love the people who are easy to love. I'm going to love the people who love me back. I'm going to love the people that I like. I'm going to love the people who are sort of like me in terms of what I'm interested in and my personality. But we don't really want to love people who are not like us. And it's interesting, as I, as I talk to people, and this kind of dialogue goes in my head a little bit as well, is I hear people say, well, I don't like him. I don't like her. He's, he's a jerk. I don't, you know, I don't like, and then with that obviously comes, if you don't like somebody, you're not going to love them. And what's interesting is I think about this. It's not that we categorize people and we say, I don't like people of this race. I don't like people of that country. I don't like people with blonde hair. We don't categorize people like that. But what we do is we go, you know, I don't like her. She just talks too much. He's too bossy. She's too prideful. He's too arrogant. And we kind of say, and because of how people act, we say, well, I don't really like that person. But if we look at this, it says that we're to love our neighbor. So we kind of do the same thing that the man in the story here does, or the, the, uh, that the lawyer does. He says, well, exactly who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? And so then Jesus responds, and he tells a story. And this is a story that is probably familiar to a lot of you. Uh, and so what I want us to do as we look at this story is I want us to try and imagine that you're there, Jesus is having this dialogue with this expert in the law, and you're part of the crowd who is around. And you're listening to Jesus tell the story. And I want you to try and listen to it and interpret it through sort of a first century Israel sort of mindset. And I'm going to go through it and help us to do that. So he says this, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
Now, Jerusalem to Jericho is about 18 miles, so that's a pretty much a full day's journey. And it says going down, it literally was a downhill walk. Jerusalem was a little bit higher elevation, downhill. But parts of it were through mountains where there were these switchbacks, which were pretty good places for people to hide, and you're not always sure what's around the corner. It says, okay, it went from Jerusalem to Jericho. I got that. And then, it said, and then Jesus says, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And as you heard you say that, you go, that makes sense. I mean, everybody knows that that's kind of a dangerous road. Everybody knows it's not a great idea to walk by yourself on that path because there are robbers, there are thieves. So not really surprised because he was in that part of town, in that path that he got beat up. And it says... Jesus continues, he says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And again, you're listening to the story like, oh, well, that's pretty good. This is going to have a good ending to it because there's a priest there, and he's a religious guy who says, I love God. And so, yeah, this is, this is going to go well. I see where this is going. But that's not how it goes. It says, and when he passed by on the other side, when we saw him, he passed by on the other side. And at that point, there would be sort of a chuckle from the crowd, okay? Now, you all don't, none of you chuckled when I said that, right? So we're gonna practice again and you can chuckle, but let me tell you why you're gonna chuckle and then you can chuckle, okay? So be practicing your chuckle here, right? So, but here's the thing is, the, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, like we picture a road like 20 feet wide, dirt road or whatever. This road was probably about three to maybe five to eight feet at its widest because it was this narrow, windy road. And so to say you pass by on the other road would sort of be like, you know, sort of doing this. Like you can't really pass by on the other side of a road where there is no two sides of the road. And so, and again, you have to chuckle at the right place, okay? It says, and so now... A priest was going down that road, and we saw him. He passed by on the other side. <laughs> there you go. Thanks for playing along. Good. So that's how it went. Then it says, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, and he passed by on the other side. There you go. We're playing along well. Thank you. So both the priest and the Levite are religious people, and one would have expected them to stop. But they didn't. They had a place to be, so they just passed by on the other side. They didn't want to get involved with what was going on with this guy who had been beaten up, and so they keep going as Jesus tells the story. And then it says this, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed to where he was, saw him. So it says a Samaritan. Now, again, if you're listening to this, and you're Jewish, and you're listening to Jesus, and he says a Samaritan, you're like, and you'd probably be like, ooh, this is the bad guy. This is the evil guy in the, in the thing. What's going on here? Because Samaritans and Jews didn't like each other. As a matter of fact, there's another time where some people are saying to Jesus, they're criticizing Jesus, and they criticize him and they say, he's such a bad guy, he's either demon-possessed, which is like, that's really bad, right? Or he's a Samaritan. Like, think about that comparison. You're demon-possessed or you're a Samaritan. Like, that was how poorly they viewed Samaritans, and there was this big rift, this big kind of um, fight between them, so to speak. So he says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
So again, if you're listening to him, you're picturing him, he takes him, he puts him on a donkey, he takes him to this inn. And he said, um, took him to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever, you, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And so he spends his own money on this guy to basically help him. Right? So that's the end of the parable. That's the end of the story. Jesus has made his point with the story. But then he wants to make sure that the expert in the law has understood the point. And so he says this. He says, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, he said, the one who showed him mercy. You see, he got it. He didn't need to even say the Samaritan. It says, the one who showed him mercy. That was the one who was a good neighbor to the man by the side of the road. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. He says, you go and do likewise. He's saying that's what it means. It's not about who is your neighbor. It's not about defining this kind of boundaries. But I like this type of people. I don't like that type of people. He says, go and do likewise. Now, this story that Jesus tells takes place in the first century of Israel. And it was a culturally a little bit different than us. You see, he tells the story about a guy who was beaten up by the side of the road. So in all of my 28 years of living, actually to all of them 28, but that was sort of fun to say. Uh, in my 28 years of life, uh, plus some, uh, I've never come across somebody beaten up by the side of the road. I, I mean, I, I've walked, I've driven, I've, I came across a car accident one time, I was the first person. But I've never, you know, come across somebody who's been beaten up by robbers and left for dead by the side of the road. Now, maybe you have. Maybe if we all went around, there a couple of us would have a story and say, yeah, this happened to me or that happened to me. But for the most part, we don't meet people who are beaten up by the side of the road. But... Every single day of our lives, we come across and we meet people who have been beaten up by life. People who are going through a tough time because life has kind of chewed them up and is spitting them out. It could be somebody in your life that their husband or wife just left and said, I want a divorce. It could be somebody, boyfriend or girlfriend said, I'm, I'm breaking up with you, and that left them heartbroken. Could be somebody who got laid off of a job or got demoted or got a pay cut. You know, it, it could be somebody who's facing a chronic illness and they're struggling with life. Or maybe your friend is, has a, a parent or relative that is facing that. Could be that you meet somebody that they just feel like life doesn't have a purpose or they got cut from the team or they're not playing as much as they thought. And people get beat up by life all the time. And so... The priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, they were going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and there was a guy who'd been beat up. But we, as we drive and walk the streets of Charleston, West Virginia, we meet people who've been beat up by life. I came across a statistic about two weeks ago, and it was from the 2010 census. Uh, 190,000 people live in our community, if we're going to call our community Kanawha uh, County. But it said, of those 193,000 people, 130 of them don't have a religious affiliation. Or in other words, 130, not 130, 130,000 of them, 
130,000 people in our community are disconnected from God. 130,000 people in our community don't know that God is for them. They don't know that God wants them to have joy. They don't know that God wants them to have hope. They don't know that God wants them to have peace. They don't know that they can have purpose and significance in life. 130,000 people of our neighbors who live in this county don't know that God is for them. But you see, we do. We know that God is for us. We know that God gives us mercy and love and peace and joy. And we may not always live in that. That's not to say that we all have a perfect life and we're always this joy-filled thing. But we know that truth. But there are thousands and thousands of people who don't know that God is for them. And so we had the opportunity to show that to them. So here's the main point of this morning. People won't know that God is for them until they know that we are for them. People won't know that God is for them until they know that we are for them. Now, 130,000 people, that's a pretty overwhelming number. None of us knows 130,000 people. None of us can reach 130,000 people. However, here's the question. This is what I want us to wrestle with a little bit this morning. What if we took the great commandment from Jesus literally? Taking it literally meaning, what if we actually loved our neighbors, the people who God has put around us geographically? If we love the people across the street and next to us in our backyard neighbors, if we love the people in the dorm room next to us, if we love the people in the apartment complex that we're in, what would that look like to practically love our actual physical neighbors. In the book of Acts, there's a verse that I've probably read 20 or 30 times, but I've never noticed this one part of it. I want to highlight this one part of it. Maybe you've noticed this before, but I hadn't. It says this in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. It says, For one man he made, excuse me, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And then it says, And he marked out, that's God, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Saying that God put people in certain geographic spaces, in certain geographic lands, at certain times in history. And so, God has you, wherever you live, he has you there at this time, right now, and he has people around you geographically, that he put there as well. And maybe God has you there to be his instrument to show them that God is for them. And you will get to show them that God is for them as you show them that you are for them. So we talk about neighboring, the art of carrying out Jesus' greatest commandment. And so the question is, how do we do that? What is that going to look like in a practical way? So we're going to take the last few minutes and we're going to look back at this parable and just pick out just two or three things and say, this is what the Samaritan did. I can do that in my own life as well. So here's the first one. Is neighboring is inconvenient. Neighboring is inconvenient. As Jesus is telling this story, 
you know, there's this kind of contrast that goes on between the Samaritan and then the priest and the Levite. And so for the priest and the Levite to stop and to care for this man was not convenient. It was very inconvenient, right? Because they had to be someplace. As a matter of fact, if he had died, then they would have to take a week off of ceremony, from, with, do ceremonial cleaning before they could resume their duties as a priest or a Levite. So it was just inconvenient to stop. But it was also inconvenient for the Samaritan to stop too, wasn't it? It wasn't like he was just on a stroll. He was going there with a purpose. And, you know, as we think about our own lives, neighboring is not convenient. It's not always something that we can schedule. We can kind of schedule being with our neighbors and cookouts and things like that, but oftentimes neighboring, oftentimes neighboring is not like a planned thing. And we live, I live, most of you live in a really planned out sort of way. Like this is what I'm doing here and then there, and we've got our days planned out. And you know, on my computer, I have little pop-up reminders that says, hey, send this email. Don't forget to make this phone call in 10 minutes. You have a meeting in 30 minutes. And all these things pop up. You know, and as I think about the, the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, you know, I can see them passing by, you know, and he's sick and he's like, um... You know, today's not a great day for me to help you, but if you could get beat up on, like, next Monday, that would really help a lot. But it doesn't work like that, does it? Right? People get beat up by life when they get beat up by life. And so the question is, are we going to go through the inconvenience of loving people when they need to be loved? You also look at the story, and it was inconvenient in some other ways. It cost him money. It says that he paid two denarii to the innkeeper, and then kind of gave him a blank check. He said, hey, I'm going to come back in a couple days, and if I owe you more money, then I'll go ahead and pay you more money. It cost him something. When we neighbor well, it's going to cost us financially. You know, it may be throwing a barbecue and buying some steaks and beers for people in our neighborhood and inviting them over, right? It could be when the neighbor kids comes over and they're hawking everything for all their little activities it's like, okay, well, I'll buy the popcorn, I'll buy the pretzels, I'll buy the beef jerky, I'll buy the popcorn, I'll buy the calendar, I'll buy the Christmas wreath, I'll buy the candles. I mean, I'm in this thing, right? Like, they come over all the time. What if we said yes to all the neighbor kids? It's going to cost you money, but you'd be the house to go to. But why? Not because you want a candle. Who wants another candle, right? Who wants another piece of beef jerky or popcorn? But you want to do is you want to build a relationship and love the people in your neighborhood well. You know, there's one other inconvenience as I think about this story is the messiness of it. Just in a physical way, he walks by the guy, the two guys walk by, and he's like, ah, that's kind of gross, kind of messy getting involved. But the Samaritan says he stops, he bandaged his wounds, he put oil and wine on them, he cared for them. He probably got blood on them. He probably got dirty doing this. And when we neighbor well, it's messy because people's lives are messy. We're going to have conversations that maybe make us feel uncomfortable. We're going to have conversations where we don't know the answers. We're going to have conversations where we feel torn between two different people. Life is messy. Neighboring is messy when we do it. We want to be aware. Here's the next one. Neighboring is about action. It's interesting as you look at the very last thing that Jesus says. He says, you go and do likewise. He doesn't say, have the heart of a neighbor. He doesn't say, make sure your neighbor is in your heart. He says, go and do likewise. And this passage is filled with actions. 
Verse 27, to love. Verse 33, compassion. Verse 37, mercy. Those are all actions that we do towards somebody else. This idea is people won't know that God is for them until, we, until they know that we are for them. And that takes action, not just thought or good intentions on our part. Then here's the last one. Neighboring is starting where I live. So here's what I want you to do. When you walked in this morning, you uh, got a sermon outline that looked something like this. Uh, maybe you filled it in. Maybe you haven't. That's okay. Uh, but I want you, everybody to take it out. Don't show me if you filled it out or not. That would make me feel bad if you didn't. But turn it over. And on the back, there's a map that looks like, very much like the map on the screen behind me. And I want you to imagine that this is your neighborhood, okay? So in the middle, there's that little house. Take out a pen. There's a pen right in the seat back in front of you. You can take that out. And right there, or maybe that's your dorm room, but I want you to write your name in there. So Santon family. Don't write that. Write, you know, the Young family or the Pauly family or whatever your family name is. Don't write my family in there. So write the name of your family. And then here's your homework assignment, is I want you to fill in this map with your eight closest geographic neighbors, okay? Now, for some of you, that may be really easy. You're super social. You know everybody. You're like, I'll have this done in two minutes, and you're practically done already. But for some of you, this is going to be really hard, and you're going to, I don't really know my neighbors that well. I, don't, I haven't taken the time to get to know them, or I've lived there for 10 years. It'd be awkward to go and have a conversation with them, right? Or it could be like you're like I am. I'm like, Stacy, what's the guy across the street with the big dimple and the long hair, you know? That's the kind of question that I ask. And then she helps me, and I, I fill it in. But I, what I want you to do is to fill this in and figure out who your neighbors, to take this commandment of Jesus to love your neighbor Literally, love your actual neighbor and look for ways to care for them. And, you know, and this, again, this neighborhood probably doesn't look like yours. You may live in an apartment complex and you're going to write that down or a dorm room. You may live, you know, on some big farm and the next closest neighbor is like three miles away. Whatever it takes to get to your eight closest neighbors is to write that down. And I'll be honest. So this is my map and it looks like I only half did it. Uh, I've got eight out of, I've got four out of the eight squares filled in. I don't know the names of my other four neighbors. Like I can kind of recognize them by their cars and stuff like that, but I don't know their names. And, I, and as I did this message, I'm like, I am not practicing what I preach. And I share that with you because this message series is for me. And I'm going to see how I can figure this out without looking at their mail what their names are, right? Don't, don't do that. That'd be really creepy. <laughs> oh, you go to that church, they sneak people's mail. Don't do that. Um, but to look for opportunities to meet people. And over the next three weeks of this series, take that challenge that I'm going to fill this in and I'm going to look for ways to love some other people in my neighborhood. Because here's the thing. Is I sincerely believe that collectively, if we do this, if we take this approach, then we will make a dent in the 130,000 people who don't know that God is for them. The 130,000 people who are disconnected, that don't know the truth that we know that God is for us. 
And so it's worth taking the time to write these down. It's worth taking the time to have a conversation. It's worth taking the time to pray that God would give us the opportunities to meet some folks in our neighborhoods and then to go out and to care for them. And so I challenge you and encourage you to do that over the next three weeks. And then next week we'll come back, we'll talk about, we'll talk a little bit more about what does this look like and give a new challenge. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that you have put each one of us uh, in the neighborhood that we are in, in the house that we're in, in the dorm room, in the apartment complex, wherever we're living, you have us right there geographically in those boundaries for a season. And I pray that we would utilize that time that you've put us there to love our neighbors well, to practice the great commandment, the art of loving people. God, thank you so much for where you've put us. Help us to do this because, God, for a lot of us, myself included, this is a big challenge, and I will need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.